Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Story time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was a seasonal ranger back in the late 90s whilst in college. We got a call about a woman screaming off one of the biking trails. We searched for hours and never found any evidence of foul play, so we decided to head back. We were a good five miles off the trail by this point, when we stumbled upon a couple acres of marijuana. A heavily booby-trapped couple of acres of marijuana. A dozen bear traps. A shotgun rigged to go off when you walk into a string, 
There was a 10 feet deep pit covered with branches with spikes at the bottom. We later discovered there were dead deer that fell in and died. We got lucky it wasn't dark when we stumbled upon this otherwise, I'm pretty sure one of us would have died. Lots of agencies got involved, we never determined who was screaming, nor did we find out who owned the plot of weed. Why they would booby trap the shit out of it was mind-boggling. Potentially killing someone over some plants seemed pretty messed up, but no one was hurt from it as far as I know. That was a very interesting job. I wouldn't mind doing it again at some point. As a veteran park ranger from US, I was sent up to this lake in Canada for a project that I was contracted out for. I was to be up there for about a year. The first two weeks, nothing really happened other than a ton of mosquito bites. On one of the nights afterwards, I was walking back to my campsite. It had gotten dark out, so the only thing lighting the path was my headlamp. It wasn't really all that bright, but it was more than enough to see in front of me. As I was walking and my light flickered not faded out completely like it would have had I accidentally bumped it. This wasn't an overly common occurrence with my headlamp, since it had a habit of breaking and going out all the time. So, I was about three quarters of a mile away, and I just passed the hill on my right. I saw some movement in the water out by the lake. Whatever it was was actually coming up out of the lake. As it was coming up out of the water, I realized exactly what this was a monster. As soon as I saw this thing's face, I froze up. I couldn't move, but I could still see the movements. It had moved out of the water onto land and kind of had this drunken stagger to it. That's when I saw it in full for the first time, even though it was very brief and the lighting wasn't the best. This thing was hideous. I've seen some pretty scary stuff in my life, but nothing can ever scare me as much as seeing this did. It was maybe six feet tall maybe. It moved pretty well for being bipedal. It kinda reminded me of Frankenstein because its movements were stiff and staggered. Its skin was also a bright blue and also dark green in places and was more slimy than scaly. Its face was human-like, and had small beady eyes. This thing was amphibious and evil-looking. That's the only way I can accurately describe the expression it was wearing. Seeing this thing felt like everything went into slow motion. I think it took about 5 seconds for me to realize that I needed to get out of here now. So, I started walking backward very slowly, until I had my back to its side, to where it could not see me. There's no telling what it would do if it did see me. This thing could be the one and only lake monster that I was seeing something I'd heard lots of folklore and legends about, but always just assumed was an urban myth. Little did I know, this was actually a real living creature. I could not turn around and run, I feared it would hear me. Even scarier is that if it ran, there's no telling if this thing would come after me. So, I turned around very slowly and walked the same way I came, paying very close attention to my own footfalls to make sure I was being as quiet as possible. As this thing just disappeared off into the woods, fortunately, it did not look after my direction, and seemed distracted by going wherever it was. I got back to my campsite in record time. As soon as this creature completely disappeared into the woodline, I didn't waste any time running as fast as I could back to my post. I got back and told them what happened, but I tried to be as vague as possible in fear of retribution against my career. 
Not surprisingly, they didn't take me seriously, even though I didn't exactly hint at what I saw. I explained to them that I saw something large that terrified me, and they just kind of rolled their eyes at me, and told me to get it together. I did not sleep well that night. I stayed up thinking about it. I still don't know what to think about the experience. I do know that it was real. This is not some sort of hoax or anything of that sort. It was real and still scares me to this day. It wasn't until after the sighting that I would even learn about the Thetis Lake monster. I was curious to find out what it is I saw, and maybe if there's any correlation to what I saw and the settings nearby. Sure enough, there are not many sightings out there, but there are a few, and I can't believe that I'm one of the few who've seen this thing. I once escorted a church group, ages young kids through adults, on a weekend overnight outing to a camp in the Poconos. The camp was set at the confluence of two streams, and was somewhat rugged. The group had lots to do a climbing wall, boating, hiking, sports, all kinds of stuff, including a nature center and little museum. The nature center had interactive displays, fish tanks, small animals, etc., and a touch table, a large wooden table with sides, on which was scattered all sorts of artifacts the guests could pick up and handle. These items included deer antlers, bones, turtle shells, feathers, arrowheads and pottery, rocks, seeds and nuts, tan hides, etc. Little kids especially loved it. All of the items were found by guests or staff while out in the camp and returned to the nature center. I handled the items also, and I noticed one bone had a really odd shape. I am an environmental scientist by profession and an outdoorsman and naturalist for fun and can generally recognize what bones came from what parts of what animals. This bone was a human mandible, the lower jawbone of a person. It was severely worn smooth and had no teeth, but easily recognizable as such. It had been there for years, handled by thousands of people, and no one noticed, or at least reported it. I reported it to the director who removed it, and notified the state police. They investigated it, it seemed very old, and no one was reported missing in the immediate area, so the camp was allowed to keep it. Possible explanation the facility was the site of a timbering and ice harvesting camp up until the 1920s, and may have been the remains of a worker who died and was buried right there. But who knows the real story? And as far as I know, it's still on the table. I was doing some fieldwork for my master's thesis on the local river habitat. I have trail cameras out to catch wildlife. On my way to one of my cameras he was walking, I heard leaf rustling from the top of a tree, and then a dead deer fell from the tree on the ground. I made some noise and walked away. I thought it was either a bobcat or mountain lion, and I didn't want to investigate in case the animal was still there. As far as I know bobcats don't climb on trees to carry their prey, and this was a whitetail that looked pretty heavy. I went there a few hours later, and the carcass was gone. As for mountain lion, we only have rumors of one around our parts, and although I saw tracks, they were not near the camera. This occurred at Mount Lassen National Park in Northern California in 1973. I was camping out with six other boys. We were up there spending the night on the volcano on Mount Lassen. 
It was getting dark and one of the boys that was in our group said, Hey, I'm gonna go walk around. I didn't know these five other boys real well. We were friends from high school. Well I said, that's not a good idea. You don't want to go walking out there. Because there's a lot of timber and it's pitch black. You could literally walk off a cliff and die. Anyhow, this kid takes off. We got a fire going. It just started to get dark. I tell the other guys, somebody's gotta go out and get him, bring this guy back. He's gonna get hurt. And no one did anything. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for somebody to get up and go after this kid. No one did so I said, well, I'm gonna go out and try to get him back. So I take off on this trail and I'm walking along. I'm yelling this guy's name. No response. No nothing. Then all of a sudden I hear this scream. The scream of a huge animal, and it was like nothing I've ever heard before. It wasn't just one yell. It's actually kinda hard to put into words. What was strange was this animal, I could see it. There is this small gully, and it was standing on the other side of the gully, and this screech. It was guttural, and it was huge. You could tell it was a huge animal by how low and deep it was. The strange thing was that it sounded like it was literally right next to my ear. It was bizarre. Anyhow, this thing screamed, it yelled. It's hard to put into words. So I looked across the gully, and I could see it. Again, it was low light, but I could see the animal. I didn't know what it was. I'd never even heard of Bigfoot. So, this animal is standing, and it's a humanoid. Two legs, two arms, one head. Dark fur. And screaming. And it was close to me. It was probably only about 50 yards away. There was a deep gully between us. Anyway, this scream comes out, and I'm frozen in my tracks scared. Well, the kid that I'm looking for comes running past me, and he's running back to the campfire, and he doesn't say a word to me. He just went straight past. So I start running. I'm running back now. I'm scared. Well, what happened was there was the other kid who took off to help me following up behind me. I ran into him on the trail. I yelled to him. I slowed down. I told him to run, just run, and I kept running. He goes. Yeah right, you guys are playing a game or whatever. Basically, we all three made it back, and we sat around the campfire the rest of the night, frightened and scared. Well I thought this was like a man in a suit maybe. The next morning I said, we gotta get a hold of the rangers, the Mount Lassen Park rangers. And we did. I was one of the older people in the group. I said to the ranger, hey, someone was out here, he coulda killed us. He could have had somebody get killed. I described what it looked like, and the scream. The ranger got a serious look on his face, got up from his desk, walked closer to me, and whispered in my ear. Young man, it was Bigfoot. That was the last time I ever went camping. I'm here in Charleston, West Virginia, but back in 2011, December 15, I was traveling through Point Pleasant for work on us Route 35. It was about 3 3.30 in the morning, icy conditions. The roads were snow covered. Just your typical December early morning in West Virginia. I was going around this bend, and this big figure appeared in the roadway. I mean, I couldn't see anything beyond it. It looked to be, maybe, 8 to 10 feet tall. It looked to have wings. I just stopped in the middle of the road. I couldn't go anywhere. I froze. 
Not only my vehicle was stopped, but I froze and this figure, whatever it was, just stood there in the middle of the road, and I was there for, I don't know, a minute or two minutes. I mean, I don't know how long, but it seemed like forever, and it finally darted off into the woods. And I sat there for another few minutes, trying to collect myself. I kept going around the bend, and about a mile up the road a tractor trailer had jackknifed. There were no other vehicles around. It looked like it just happened. Luckily I was able to call emergency services and get them out on the scene. I just had this weird feeling about myself. Well, going back to 1967, December 15, there at the Silver Bridge my great-grandfather actually went across the Silver Bridge like an hour or so before it collapsed and my great-grandma. I never had a chance to meet my great-grandfather, but my great-grandmother said that he said, after everything had happened, he had this weird feeling about himself going across that bridge, and as soon as he got to work. He worked at one of the factories out there at Point Pleasant, and he said that he just had this weird feeling about himself. And that's how I felt about what happened on December 15, 2011, so many years after the Silver Bridge collapse. I never really could tell what the creature was. I just know that it was a big dark figure, probably about 50 feet in front of me. It was in my headlights, and it was snowing. It was just me in the vehicle, and like I said, it was like 3 in the morning or something like that. I mean it was just, I don't know if it was warning me not to go right then, like, whenever that tractor trailer jackknifed. It was like it was just telling me, you need to stop. And I did. I know why so many people go missing from national parks. I don't know why I went to Mount Rainier. I mean, I know what I went to Mount Rainier for, but to this day, I don't really know why I felt so compelled to go. I've always been, obsessively curious. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. I get these fascinations for things out of seemingly nowhere, and once that fascination lodges itself in my head, it quickly starts to take over every waking aspect of my life it seems. Thinking about it turns into reading about it, reading about it turns into researching it as thoroughly as possible, research leads to investigation, and the rabbit hole of my obsessions just goes and goes, and then as suddenly as this obsession starts, it's gone. Complete and total disinterest, just like that. Ever since I was a kid it's been this way. I kind of compare it to an itch, and ultimately the only way to really stop an itch is to scratch it, right? I remember laying on my couch on a rainy off day from work and scrolling through YouTube while I waited for the Domino's guy to drop off some buffalo wings when a strange title I'd never heard of came up and caught my eye. Missing 411. Strange and unexplained disappearances in America's national parks. As soon as I clicked on that video, I knew I'd found my newest obsession. The Diet Love Pass incident I had been researching for months now was gone and out the window. Hindsight's always 2020, as the saying goes. I had no idea that I was about to set an unchangeable course that led me to the horrifying reality I was soon to discover. Three weeks and probably a hundred videos, a handful of ordered books, and an endless scrolling through every forum and internet thread I could get my hands on and I was still just as enamored with these, missing 411s, as I'd been when I first clicked on that initial YouTube video. 
I'd be genuinely surprised if there were a lot of people reading this who didn't know about David Paulides, the missing 411s, and all of confounding mysteriousness that surrounded these matters. But for those who might be out of the loop, I'll do my best to sum it up in few little bullet points for you. Cliff notes or whatever. 1. There have been a disturbingly large number of unexplained disappearances in America's national parks, and by large number I mean 2,000. That's more than everyone in the North Tower on 9-11. 2,000 people just vanishing in the woods with no explanation whatsoever. 2. A lot of these people are never seen or heard from again. That in its own right is insane given the technologies that we have, and the massive searches that are sometimes carried out for these people. But what's even weirder is that the people that are eventually found leave us more questions than answers. Kids go missing and are found miles and miles away from the initial search zone. Way further than even top survival experts are able to walk. People's bodies turn up in super obvious areas that have been searched multiple times by search and rescue teams. Search dogs will have a good obvious trail on the missing person, and then just lose it. Sometimes all they find are the person's shoes, sometimes they find the person with no shoes at all. Sometimes the bodies look like they've fallen from a great height despite there being no high ground to fall off of, etc. 3. The number of times military units have been deployed to go and search for missing people is eyebrow-raising to say the least. The military is very effective, but they're not search and rescue. They're trained to seek and destroy, not really search and save. 4. The National Park Service gets very, very sketchy when it comes to any kind of further inquiry. This has led a lot of people to believe that they're covering something up. Now, me being the obsessive person that I am immediately started trying to sleuth around for some kind of conclusion. What was the overall theory? What did people think was going on here? I guess because the speculation can go on forever. The theories go on forever too. Everything from rich megalomaniacs on, hunting trips, aliens, windigos and skinwalkers, Bigfoot abductions, parallel universes. The list is truly endless. So many different theories, and as wild as some of them might sound at first. It's beyond eerie how quickly they begin to sound more than rational, and even possible with just a little bit of explanation. But as I poured through the seemingly endless accounts and rumors, there was one theory that hit a stronger chord with me than the rest. Feral people. In a nutshell, the theory is that during the Great Depression, maybe even earlier, people took off with their families deep into these wilderness regions to live off the land and get away from the crippling poverty of the cities and towns during that time. Generations of incest and isolation resulted in their ancestors being what we would consider feral, completely hostile, incapable of reasoning that we can comprehend, with a multi-generational knowledge of the land they lived in and how to survive it. Paired with a relatively untouched government protected after all access to a virtually endless number of resources. Other humans, if the opportunity presented itself, could not only be a decent food opportunity, but they were also food opportunity with extremely valuable tools just ripe for taking. Like cereal with a prize in the box, can you imagine how valuable a water bottle would be to a caveman? How wildly priceless a fishing pole would look? The National Park Service knows about these feral people, 
but they also know it'd be a huge risk to go traipsing in the wilderness looking for bloodthirsty cannibals that are more competent and dangerous than even the most apex predators they live with. They also provide an extremely valuable insight for scientists to study all sorts of things about human nature, but from time to time they get a little too close, or they get to bold and give their locations away, the military gets called in to dispose of these tribes in a discreet and efficient manner before more people disappear, and as a result more people take to the woods to find their missing people. For whatever reason this theory made perfect sense to me. Well, almost perfect sense. It checked almost all the boxes. Children and elderly people go missing because they're the easiest to overpower. Hikers who are by themselves go missing because they're by themselves and can be ambushed quicker than a group of hikers could. Hunters go missing because they're far off the beaten path, and they have weapons that are worth the risk. It even explains why bow hunters tend to go missing more than gun hunters. Bows are easier to figure out, and lower madness. We already know people go missing without a trace, and are never found again. Would it be so wild to say in the same breath, that people are never found in the first place for the same reasons. Even most of your Bigfoot sightings in these national parks could be explained with the feral people theory. Imagine what you would look like if you had never had a haircut, if you'd never taken a shower, or clipped your nails, or combed your hair or shaved your beard. Throw a Habsburg jaw or a heavy brow in the mix from years of intrafamilial breeding, and you're pretty much the perfect definition of a Sasquatch at that point. But for all the information and cross-examinations that I would read about to seemingly prove this theory, there were admittedly a few glaring loopholes that with a bit more thought would very quickly start to pull the whole idea apart. Humans are truly a scourge on this planet. Anywhere we go we leave a mess, we make smoke from fires, we burn things down accidentally, we cut down trees and leave bones lying all over the place. The very steps we take kill the forest floor leaving huge patches of dirt wherever we stay for more than a few days, we are hands down the easiest animal to find. Every human that's ever walked the earth inherently believes that the earth is theirs. I guess that manifests even in the most unconscious of ways. Not to mention the scientific probabilities, infertility that comes with incest, crippling genetic mutations etc. For all the positive evidence, I'll be the first to admit, there were some serious holes in the theory. So around and around I went with this concept. For months. Ruling it in and ruling it out. Until one day I was given what I can only describe as a divine revelation. Like the conspiracy gods took pity on my slow decay into insanity, and threw me a nice big bone to chew on, and this one actually had some meat on it. I had fallen asleep on the couch amidst another bout of determined research. YouTube was once again in the background. When I woke up from my nap, I went for the remote when the narrator of the video caught my attention. Missing 411s had rabbit holed into unexplained mysteries in general, and unexplained mysteries had rabbit holed into crazy discoveries made by scientists and historians. The narrator was talking about this skull that had been found. The picture of it was posted up for the viewer to see while he talked about it. It was an old weathered looking skull that had puncture holes in the cranium part. Because of these holes scientists thought for a long time that this child had been the victim of a human sacrifice. But through a series of discoveries, 
It was made apparent that this child in actuality had been picked clean off the ground by a crowned eagle. Suddenly it hit me. I sprang out of my seat like a madman, as all the pieces began to fall together, like an Arabic's cube, that was all but solving itself. Giant. Eagles. I know, I know. It sounds ridiculous. On the surface more ridiculous than any other theory brought forward. But like my dad always said, the difference between Batchet and Guano, is the stuff that's inside it. And this was no different. I'm not going to get into every painful detail here. But I do have to point out a few just to show you where I'm coming from here. 1. Eagles eat take out. They swoop in. Snatch and kill their food, fly it back, and eat in the nest. This explains why people go missing and are never found again. They're being looked for somewhere on the forest floor. When they've actually been carried up a mountain and dropped in a nest somewhere. This also explains why the people who are found are way further out than they by all rights should be, and why so many seem to have fallen from a great height. The eagle takes someone who's a little too heavy, takes someone who doesn't die right away and squirms a bit too much, gets spooked or startled and needs to fly faster, and they drop their meal. 2. Eagles are ambush predators. They hang out on a perch, and as soon as they see a tasty snack, they swoop and pin it down, kill it, then swoop back with their newly acquired meal to wherever it is they nest at. This explains why so many lone hikers go missing off a trail. Just like a hunter would babysit a game trail for deer, an eagle babysits a footpath for humans, and speaking of deer. 3. An eagle large enough to swoop up with a human would more than likely have a reliable food source of deer, and there are a crap ton of deer. In Yellowstone alone, there are over 2,000 mule deer running around, and that's just mule deer, and this is the very reason why hunters go missing. If you're out hunting a deer then chances are you're wearing scents and making deer calls. In other words, you are actively trying to convince deer that you are in fact, also a deer, but the same artificial smells and bleats that would attract a nice big 10 point, would just as easily be a free food sign for a large bird of prey. 4. This also explains why so many times only aspects of the missing person have been found. Shoes, backpacks, cameras, hiking sticks, bows etc. Eagles are smart creatures. They probably learned pretty quickly that there's a lot of stuff on these humans that aren't edible. Clothing can be torn through easily enough, but the thicker more durable stuff gets ripped off and discarded. Like a deer's antlers. The feet are torn off by the ankles and smaller animals eat whatever is left inside. Now, I know if you're reading this, you're probably thinking one glaring thing. Come on Saint Circa. You'd think someone would notice giant eagles flying around. But they have. That's why the National Park Service gets so shady when people try to investigate further. They are well aware that there are giant eagles living in the hundreds of miles. These national parks reach out to sometimes, and considering eagles only hunt in a roughly 15-20 mile perimeter around their nests, they know exactly where to find them as well. America's national bird is the bald eagle. It's been that way since 1782. By 1963, there were only 400 nesting pairs of bald eagles in the entire country. Why? Because people shot them out of the sky in droves. Not for their meat, not for their valuable talons or beaks. 
Researchers say that these eagles were killed mainly to see them up close. That's it. Do you think for half a second there wouldn't be a thousand hillblaze with birdshot scouring the entire countryside the second? It was discovered that there were giant eagles flying around. My best guess is that the National Park Service works in tandem with wildlife conservationist groups to keep these endangered animals as secret as possible. But you can't just let giant man-eating eagles F each other willy-nilly and fly around eating whatever they want whenever they feel like. No one's going to go spend money to hang out at a natural park, they'll be killed and eaten at. That'd be horrible for business. In comes the military. You see, it's not just the military that's sent out to find these missing people. It's one particularly small, but highly effective section of the military, and that section is the Green Berets. Green Berets have a large set of skills, but two of their main purposes are special reconnaissance and unconventional warfare. And almost all their operations fall under the category of classified. In layman's terms, they specialize in finding things and reporting information on it. And killing things in very unique and creative ways. And then of course they're not allowed to talk about any of it. Total secrecy. You think these guys get called out because Tiny Tim got turned around in the woods. Bullshit. The government can't even send a real hazmat team to Palestine, Ohio, when a chemical fire radiates the entire town. No, they go out there when park rangers suspect Tiny Tim got turned into a giant eagle's lunch, and they need the best of the best to identify, if that is indeed the case, and take it down or dispose of it properly if it is, and keep their mouths shut about it afterwards. They get sent out when scientists speculate that the giant eagle population has grown too high, and is risking compromise. The Green Berets go out and depopulate a bit. Keep the population under control, and keep their mouths shut about it afterwards. They get sent out when one dies so they can collect the body for research, and keep their mouths shut about it afterwards. I was absolutely sure of it, but even after this certainty cemented itself into everything else I knew to be true. A new dangerous itch began to invade the back of my mind. You can't just know that a house is haunted. You have to actually see the ghost, don't you? I fought it for longer than I thought possible, but within seven months of watching that first video, I found myself driving to Mount Rainier. I had to complete the experiment. I had to be sure that I was sure that I was sure. How's that song go? The old 80s one. Blinded with science, took forever to plan the trip. I'd already been spending weeks studying things about eagles, but now I had to reorient and study how to spot eagles. When they hunted, how to watch them without spooking them, etc. But after four deep diving months, I had my plan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And everything I needed to carry it out. I chose Mount Rainier for two reasons. The first being it was close, 
the second being that there have been an unusual number of disappearances, not only on the mountain itself, but in the entirety of the national park that surrounded it. Even by national park standards, in the small hours of the morning, as the sun was just beginning to rise, I took off down the trail and began looking for the perfect spot to set up my blind. See normal eagles hang out in big trees, or on the sides of cliffs, but my hypothesis was that a giant eagle would probably be hanging out in crevices against cliffs. When something it could eat walked into its radar, it would swoop out and ambush it. About four hours into my trip, I found a spot I thought was ideal. A small hilltop with trees, but not too many trees. At the bottom of the hill to my left a large cliff wall could be seen. To the right was relatively flat land with enough space in between for a large bird to fly through unhindered. And so, I waited, and waited, and waited. For three days I sat in that blind. Watching the deer. Eating cold emres and trying my hardest not to doze off. At the beginning of day four however, it would all change. I was just considering leaving. When you're alone in a ramshackle tent, it doesn't take long for your mind to convince you of what an idiot you are. Giant eagles, come on Saint Circa, look at all the time you've wasted. Why can't you get hooked on something productive? As a big ten point stepped out of the brush into the area just in front of me, I watched it with a sort of boredom. Deer are cool the first time you see one, but this had to have been the 100th deer in three days that I'd seen. And at the end of the day they're just horses with antlers. They mosey, they eat. They poop and leave. I guess in my boredom I didn't really notice how quiet the forest had gotten. The deer did though. It stopped mid-bite and perked its head up, locked rigidly into place with a big mess of grass hanging out of its mouth. And that's when it happened. It was so fast my mind hardly had time to process it. One moment the deer was standing there, and the next it was pinned to the ground. I sat there wide-eyed, and in shock from the hidden barrier of my blind. Standing over this thing was the largest animal I had ever seen. Its huge wingspan seemed to stretch endlessly, it had to have been 40 feet from end to end. The forest floor was shaded almost completely as its outstretched wings blotted the sun from the sky. Even without the wings it was almost too large to comprehend at least eight feet off the ground on its two talon legs. Its dinosaur-like eyes gazing emptily into its prey, like huge orbs of golden fire. The poor animal let out one bleated scream before the eagle's large beak tore into its neck. Sending streams of blood and tissue across the forest floor like something out of a slasher movie. I could hear bones crunching violently even from the distance I was at. Suddenly I realized I had to take a photo. No one would believe it if I didn't show them firsthand. Even then they'd have probably thought it was just a hoax. Green screens and CGI and Photoshop, all that shit. I raised the lens of my camera towards the creature with shaking hands and snapped a shot. Huge. Huge mistake. As soon as the camera made that stupid little fluttering sound the eagle's head snapped instantly in my direction. Its lifeless eyes staring with pure instinct straight through the camouflage of my structure. It saw me. Before I could react, there was a sharp blast of wind. In less than a moment the entire blind was ripped off of its stakes and thrown into the woods around me. As I recovered and looked around, panic-stricken. 
I could see the horrible thing tearing into the remnants of the plastic structure some 15 or 20 feet in front of me, trying to find me inside of it. With everything I could muster I took off in the direction of my car. I've never ran so fast in my life. It took a long time to get back to my car, and the few times I stopped to try and catch my breath or dry, heave I was all but sure would result in me being another missing 411 on Mount Rainier. After what felt like days of almost endless running, I made it back to my car. Exhausted and frightened for my life. As I sat in the driver's seat hyperventilating from exhaustion, and weeping from fear, I couldn't wrap my mind around what I'd just witnessed, or how I was still here to think about it. The only thing I could think about was getting the hell as far away from Mount Rainier as possible. As I made the long drive home, and my thoughts began to somewhat return to me, I concluded that the eagle must have gotten itself trapped in the blind just long enough for me to get away. It was either that, or the deer it had killed had way more meat than I did, and it was already dead. I guess it'd be pointless to chase a smaller prey. Eagles are wicked smart after all. I tried to contact several authorities afterwards, but surprise surprise. No one believed it. You know sir, eagles are a lot bigger than people initially think they are. Are you sure you weren't using any illegal substances? Okay, well we'll send someone out to look at it, and tell you what we find. Uh-huh, we'll let you know if we find anything. We'll let you know. That camera is still out there in the woods with the rest of my stuff. I don't know if I'll ever be brave enough to try and go back for it. Maybe someone will find it, and the truth will be that much harder to dismiss. For now, I only have you guys to tell. The National Park Service is hiding something big in the mountains and forests of the United States, and if you ever go hiking in one of these remote places, make sure you are never alone. I grew up in very rural Arkansas. Once stayed in a tent in the backyard with a friend when we were about 12, camping. I had a dog named Shadow that stayed outside, and she was the bestest girl. My backyard butted up against hundreds of acres of woods so coyotes and bobcats were pretty common, but never came onto the property because of Shadow. That night as we stayed in the tent reading scary stories and talking girl talk we heard what sounded like a woman screaming not that far away. I froze because my dad had told me that mountain lions sounded exactly like that, and I wasn't sure we'd even make it back to my back door if we made a run for it. My friend was terrified and thought a woman needed help, and I was trying to to her that we had no neighbors for miles, and what I thought it probably was when Shadow started growling just outside the tent. I have probably never been so terrified before or since. She started barking and moving away from the tent in one direction. And that's when my dad threw open the back door and did one of those high-pitched dad whistles and ran towards the tent yelling us to get out, gun in hand. We ended up sleeping inside that night. A few weeks later when we were headed down to the gravel mine for target practice, a massive pit in the ground about a mile away from our home, and we saw a mountain lion on the other side, and dad murmured to me that it must be, my friend. It was massive and terrifying and beautiful, and I haven't ever seen another in person. I was driving home during the early evening from Williamsburg, 
Virginia on a 64 west towards Richmond. About a mile past the RT-607 overpass, I saw something ahead of me on the right. The best I can describe it is that it looked like a huge black dog, standing on its back legs off the shoulder at the edge of the woods. I slowed up because the person in front of me was looking at it as well. There is no doubt that it was there. As I drove by it, the beast just disappeared. It was so quick, though I suppose it could have stepped back into the woods. I was in shock I believe. I flashed my headlights in order to draw attention to the driver, I believe it was a woman to possibly pull over so I could ask her what she saw. She sped up and continued on her way. I know for a fact that others on the highway had seen it. It looked to be at least 7 feet tall with a huge head, like that of a German Shepherd. All the hair was black. The body was tapered at the torso, like what you see in the werewolf movies, I don't believe in werewolves by the way. I didn't really notice much below the waist since much of it was hidden by tall weeds. I experienced something in the mid-80s, something that I did not know what it was until 20 years later, when I saw Jeepers Creepers. And that's how I can explain what creature I saw. I was driving from work, taking a country road. I worked evenings and late nights. I saw an object above the ground, but in the roadway on a country road coming towards me. I thought maybe an owl or something going over the road, and I'd better slow down. Then it appeared, and it looked like the creature. Then it disappeared and I thought, nah. But then it turned totally black. Then all of a sudden, underneath my car, there was like a thump, thump, thump. I thought I ran over something. I looked back. I looked to the right, and to the left, in my mirrors, you know, the sides, turned my head. I had a station wagon. Anyway, all of a sudden, I see these arms, a hand, and a wing. Then the face. And the eyes were an orange color, but they were human-like too, but very large. The nose looked human, but the skin, you could see the veins on the wing, it's leathery. It was like if you held your ear up to a light, you could kinda see right through it a little bit. It was like that. It then crawled on the top, and it came over in front of the windshield the bit with its arms and wing flapping here and there. The next thing I knew I heard, thump, 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 thump. It was now on its backside on the ground, and I was still moving. I was wondering, would it stand up? Is it okay? It's my character, you know, I don't want to hit and run anything. I'm debating that, and I slowed down for some reason. It got up, turned, and looked at me. It was like crippled, struggling to stretch and everything. After a while, it got stretched out. It turned towards the field that had wood railing, pasture-like with a tree line and moon in the background. It flew, but it hit the ground again because it was wobbling, but it got up, and it flew again. Then it disappeared. To this day I'm still kind of shaken about it. I never knew until I saw that movie. Then just two months ago I looked it up on the internet, about the movie, about the creature, and it still doesn't make sense. Jeepers Creepers. I thought, did they see this thing before they made the movie? This was in Oregon outside of Amity. I lived way up in Molala, and I traveled through a lot of counties to get to my job. I had moved. I was driving at night. The honest thing was, the moon was shown at certain times, and it was almost like it brightened up, and I saw him. I was on the driver's side. I was terrified. You're only the second person I ever told. 
It took me two to three weeks or more to go back to that road. I've always been a firm believer in the paranormal, and have had my fair share of strange occurrences or encounters. I'm quite curious to know if you know of anyone who has had a similar experience to mine. Before I begin, if you're unfamiliar with redcaps, they're a type of malevolent fae or goblin found in English folklore. I was a bit startled to discover this artist's depiction below looks disturbingly similar to what I'd seen, except the head was significantly larger than the body in my case. Also, it wasn't wielding a weapon, as mentioned in several descriptions from memory. This was an early childhood memory. I can't recall my exact age at the time, but I'd estimate that I was around 8-9 years old. Unfortunately, I can only recount a small or specific point in the story, but nonetheless, this is what happened. I was in my parents' bedroom, crying in fear, as I witnessed what appeared to be a very short, malicious-looking, fair-skinned goblin, wearing a pointed red cap. It simply stood on the end of the bed, laughing maniacally at me. My mother was trying to calm me down, and had no idea why I was so hysterical since she couldn't see or hear anything. So seemingly, only I was able to see this entity. That's all I can remember sadly. I have absolutely no recollection of what happened after that, and never saw this humanoid again. Do you have thoughts or insight on what they believe I may have witnessed? When I was 11, I went tent camping with teenage cousins on the Sioux Reservation, they lived on the reservation. We were in an area we had followed several trails to find. We were inside the tent, and they were telling me a story about shapeshifters, as the sun was going down. Suddenly, there was a beautiful glow, like when the sun bursts out through clouds and makes everything golden. It highlighted shapes going by the tent and casting shadows, and started as a nice experience. Then there was a loud boom, and the shadow of a large bird came right at us, and the tent fell down on top of us. They were genuinely scared, which made me even more terrified. We hightailed it back through those trails and went home in the dark, barely able to breathe we were going so fast. I still don't know what happened or why, but I can tell you I don't go tent camping. I went backpacking for three days with some friends around January 1st of this year. On the first night, I was sleeping in my two-person tent with one of my buddies when I started to hear something walking outside the tent around 4am. I thought, it's probably just some animal, there are elk everywhere. Who knows, but I'm safe. I tried going back to bed, but it sounded like whatever was out there just kept pacing back and forth around the tent. I turned my head so that my back was facing the corner of the tent, and it felt like something was moving its face into the tent, trying to smell me. I stayed very still, hoping whatever was there would go away. Then, all of a sudden, it stomped and just missed my head. I remained still and got the feeling of it moving its head in again. I quickly elbowed it, but there was nothing there, and I heard no more noises after that, not even running if I had spooked it. I grabbed my pistol from the other corner, and woke my buddy up, telling him the situation. I opened the tent and looked outside, but there was nothing. I still have no clue what that could have been and wished I had opened the tent when it was pacing. 
After spending so much time in the field and hanging out with other wildlife people, I suspect that there are many things the average person would find very weird, but I find normal. At the same time, there are things that the average person might see as normal that are weird as hell to me. Something as simple as seeing crows and starlings flocking together unnerves me, while for most people they would probably be like, huh, a bunch of birds. The weirdest thing that comes to mind is a bizarre beaver dam, I was dealing with yesterday. A beaver had clogged up the control structure for a stormwater pond. That isn't that weird because they do it all the time. Usually, they just pile up some sticks on the outside, then pack a bit of mud into it, and call it a day. Not this guy. Instead, he decides to crawl into the drainage pipe with the sticks and build the dam in there. He then stacked up more sticks and mud until he reached the top of the structure. All told there was probably about 5 or 6 feet of concrete pipe that was packed solid. I don't even know how he managed to do it because even when we just got a trickle of water running through, the current was enough that we were getting worried about being sucked in. Once it was actually clear, it was a powerful torrent that should have swept any beaver away long before they could build anything. I've lived in rural Maine my whole life. I grew up in a small town called Livermore, and there's a place called the Norlands that still lives like it's the 1800s. It's a place kids take field trips to and learn about the old ways of life, but there's all kinds of spooky shit that happens up there. Anyway, driving in that area one day, I swear I saw what looked like a Bigfoot, except it was in a tree and swung down the branch then disappeared into the foliage. The thing was massive. It may have been a bird, and I didn't get a good look at it, but what my brain saw was a gorilla or Bigfoot creature swinging from the trees. This past summer, my girlfriend and I through hiked the Colorado Trail. One morning, we're breaking down our camp, and the sun had just come up so it was still pretty early in the morning maybe around 6 6.30 a.m. We were camped in this long straight valley in the Lost Creek Wilderness, for any fellow CT through hikers. As we're packing up and getting ready to start hiking again, we can hear this crazy screaming sound, over and over again for maybe a couple minutes. It sounded pretty far off, but was echoing through the valley. We both sat there and listened to it, trying to figure out what it was. I have spent a lot of time in the Colorado mountains, and have never heard this sound before. At first, we thought it may have been a person, but we were at a fairly remote section of the trail. Once we finished, we did some research, and we think it may have been a mountain lion, as they sometimes will make a similar screaming noise, but who knows? We were both a little nervous to start hiking again after that. For context, I'm 25 and female with a long history of doing stuff out in nature, all by my lonesome sorry, mom and dad. Last year I quit my job as a cheesemaker, and hopped on a train for a position as a line cook at a little rundown family-owned Greasy Spoon on the res right outside Glacier National Park in Montana. They had a little trailer park out back for the staff, and I got to live in a one-room cabin the manager's granddad built back in the day. The park itself was just a 15-minute walk from my cabin, and I often went hiking on the Red Eagle Lake Trail, 
since it was the one trail I didn't need to wait around for a shuttle to access, and it tended to get less traffic than the others. I'd gone out there hoping to do lots of backcountry camping, but the cafe worked us like dogs six days a week, usually so I only made it out twice on a couple solos. Now, at Red Eagle Lake, there are two campsites, the upper and lower. The first time I camped I stayed at the lower campsite, which is usually more busy. The second and last time, right before I returned home, I stayed at the smaller upper campsite. When I got there I hung up my bear hang, set up my tent, and spent some time poking around the lake and watching deer till it got dark. Around 2am I woke up to snuffling noises and loud, hollow footsteps right outside my tent door. Being half asleep and a dumbass, I completely unzipped my door. I meant to unzip the window, but the whole door opened, and I found myself looking up at a huge ass bull moose the size of a SUV. He had been just munching on huckleberry shrubs. He froze when he heard my door unzip, they don't see very well, hesitated a moment, and then shot off into the hills faster than I could ever imagine something that big moving. Scared the shit out of me. I kept hearing other moose around me throughout the night, and actually it was kind of comforting. No spooky mountain lions or paranormal spooks could possibly be around, if there were moose, right? The next morning I packed up, and was humping my shit out past the lower campground. It had been empty when I passed it the day before, but now I noticed there was a group of a half dozen guys there. Now, I met lots of dudes on the trail and 99-99% of them are perfectly friendly, really chill, and harmless. But as I walked through this campground every head snapped up and clocked me as I passed through, and I felt panic alarms go off in my gut. They all stood totally still and didn't say a word. I had to walk right past one of these guys at the bear hang, and he just leered at me creepily and said, Hey. I was wearing big, black sunglasses, and in my best lady bro voice shot back, I yo wash up. And then tried not to poop myself as I marched up the trail till they couldn't see me. I've spent a lot of time in the woods alone, and have often been grateful that I'm a taller, sort of stocky, and kind of androgynous lady. I've also spent a lot of time wandering Seattle late at night and early in the morning. That by far was the most in danger I've ever felt. Don't want to feel that way ever again. Nope. It was a beautiful sunny day in Stephenville, Texas in March 1980. It was a Friday and I had gotten home from work at noon. At the time, I was working two part-time jobs one in the morning and the other, later in the evening. I went into the bedroom, changed clothes, and put on a faded pair of jeans and a peasant-style blouse. I had been upset over my job situation laid off a couple of months previous, and had been worried about our finances. I had been doing a lot of praying, and had also been crying. I went into the kitchen and sat down at the table and ate a sandwich. While I was sitting there I felt like someone was watching me from the ceiling. I looked up at the ceiling, and then thought that it was ridiculous nothing was there. My husband called and I talked to him for a few minutes, while he was on his lunch hour. I went into the living room, laid down on the couch, and continued thinking about our finances. I sat up and looked at the clock, and it was 1.15pm, so I decided to get up and wash some glasses in the sink in the kitchen. 
I rose up off the couch, and something strong like a huge magnet pulled me down to the other end of the couch, and laid me down on the couch. I tried to get loose fighting with my arms and legs. Everything went black, then I heard a shrill noise that sounded like a power drill. The first thing that I saw was a strange man, and that I was not in my living room. I fought him with all the strength that I had, and he was fighting back with something that was taking my breath. Each time that I fought, he would give me another dose of his weapon that he had. I don't know if it was some type of gun or some type of inhalant. I lost the battle and once again my vision went black, then I heard two male voices. One said that it was not her time, and the other one said that he just wanted to talk to me. He asked me what was wrong. I started to regain my vision and noticed I was in a dimly lit room. Surprised by the question, I told him that I had been worried about our finances. I also told him that I was worried about my kids when they came home from school. He told me that I would be back when the kids came home. Both men beings were dressed in dark overalls and acted human, though I can't remember any facial detail. This man started to explain the people who had abducted me, and the reasons why they did it. I can't remember any of the reasons or what they wanted from me. He went into my future, prepared me for the divorce that was going to happen, and for my rough emotional periods. He told me that my kids would be alright. I told him that I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to handle all of this. He told me that I could, and that I would, and assured me that everything he stated was true. His voice was soft and very patient, letting me know what was happening, and what would happen, preparing me for the future. When I was stable I was taken and placed in an aircraft-like seat in a round room. A few people were also seated as they continued bringing in more. I looked around me at the people. They were all adults, men and women. A woman whom I thought was a little younger than me, was sitting near me. She was so afraid that she was becoming hysterical. I already knew that it wouldn't do me any good to get upset. She started telling me something about her baby. Everyone else was quiet. A man sitting a few seats over from me had tears in his eyes. When the seats were filled it started to feel like we were traveling possibly to a home base or landing airport. After a brief period, we were led from the aircraft. A man came up to me he had a microphone like a news reporter. He asked me what I thought was going on. I told him that I didn't know, and that all I cared about was making it back home. I also said that I cared about my family, and that they were the most important thing in the world to me. We were taken into a room that looked like an airport terminal. I think it was underground. I could hear planes flying over. Some workers were sitting against the wall observing everyone. I think that they were playing some sort of a board game. I suddenly started shaking my whole body started to feel like it was going into shock. Some workers came and took care of me. I don't know how or what they gave me. I waited until someone took me into another room for an interview. I was laid down and looked up at some sort of machine. I was asked questions like some sort of character test, medical testing, and stress levels. Then I was taken into a locker room where all the women were given white terry cloth robes, and we were put in a lineup. It felt like we were being judged as we moved behind a window, and then went back to the locker room. I showered and washed my hair. A female worker handed me a strapless bra over the door, in black spaghetti strap dress, and black heels.
I put it all on and was taken to a beauty salon. A girl fixed my hair and makeup. I tried to find out what this was all about, but she said that she couldn't discuss it with me. I was then taken to a stairway that led to a room going downward. I started down then stopped halfway to look around. The room had tables and chairs sitting around the room. To my left, next to the stairs, was a man sitting at a table. He looked up at me and came to meet me at the bottom of the stairs. He took me to his table and we sat down. I asked him if he knew what this was all about. He said that he didn't know. I asked if they could see or hear us. He looked around and said that he didn't know, but that they probably could. We started to talk. He told me that we should not give them any trouble and to do as they asked. I don't remember his name or where he was from. I thought that his last name was the name of a color. After a while, I was taken back into the medical room. They put a device into my right ear and me in my neck for tracking and communication. The device made a shrill noise in my ear. I was told that I had been chosen someone had picked me, and my partner man. I assumed it was the man at the table, and that he was to be my partner in whatever they wanted with us. Soon, the abductor came to me, and said that I would forget everything that had happened, and that it didn't matter if I told anyone because they wouldn't believe me. He told me that it was time to board the craft. He then told me that I would meet my partner man, and that I would know him. We boarded the craft, and I sat with my partner man. When it was time for me to be put back, he hugged me goodbye and whispered into my ear that he would find me. At 3.15 p.m., I came back on my couch with a jolt. I began trying to piece it together, and in the next few days, I could hardly function. I was so dizzy that I went for medical help. It took the doctor quite a while to find out that my ear was infected and making me dizzy. It did not do me any good to tell anyone what had happened. They would just give me a pitiful look like I was sick or had lost it. My husband would say that I just had a dream. I would put him through a lot of long sessions just listening to me. No one believed me and I felt like I was alone and I was scared. I thought that if they could see me to abduct me, then they could still see me. As time went on, I had a lot of problems with it. I fell into a very deep depression. As time went by, I started living a normal life again. I was happy and loved my family dearly. Seven years later I went through a divorce, and then I learned to live a single life. As the years passed I would bring up my abduction every now and then. I was surprised when people started looking at me with interest, instead of those looks like I was crazy. My dream is that I may find other men and women that this has happened to. My greatest dream is to find my partner man, and the people that I talked to while I was there. I think that I was abducted and taken to a place somewhere in Colorado. I don't know what the reason was, or why we were chosen and placed with male and female partners. This was an experience that turned my world upside down and caused nightmares, and many other problems. Yet, I have always felt like it was an honor to have been chosen, and that it was all good, nothing evil about it. Anyone who has had this experience would have had a lot of emotional trauma as a result, and would most definitely be aware of it.